0: Let us hear God's word from John chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, please allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. The question today is, what do you love? What do I love? In preparing for this message, I had a chance to scour the Internet, or maybe just take a tiny slice of it, I suppose, to ask the question, what do Americans love? So from a a number of sources, I compiled a short list. We love the Super Bowl. We love Starbucks, we love Hollywood, festivals, TV, we love friendly people, well, that's certainly opposed to unfriendly people, we love Disney, we love peanut butter, we love ranch dressing, we love Costco, we love technology. What we spend time doing speaks loudly to what we love. Recent research conducted by the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics breaks down how much time per hour Americans are spending doing various activities. The first one is staggering. On average, Americans sleep 8.76 hours a day. I wonder who that is. I didn't know I had it so good, did you? Eating and drinking, this one I don't get either. Just over an hour. Here's the number one thing that we do. More than sleep. Personal care. Nearly nine and a half hours a day. Working. (laughs) Working. Four hours and 15 minutes. Now, that's all Americans, right? So obviously some, they, they tried to put the school kids in the category of schoolwork on the, that category. But, but, you know, you have some people that don't work, some people that are retired, this sort of thing. For those who worked, 7.8 hours a day. 24 minutes of exercise, 30 minutes of socializing. I imagine hearing several of these categories, you're thinking, some of this has got to overlap. If we consider two more categories, the average American spends three hours a day watching television and three hours and 45 minutes of screen time on our phones. Right now, some of you are feeling perhaps abused by your lack of sleep. And maybe some of you are feeling pretty good because of the amount of work hours that you put in. You might say, I'm pretty diligent. I'm above average. When we look at other areas that you think that we might want to see people do, we can look at reading. The reading habits of the average American ranges from just over an hour a day for those that are 75 years old and older to just... 16 minutes a day for the average working adult. And teenagers read an average of four minutes a day. And at first I thought, well, certainly for teenagers, you know, that's 15 to 19, that I was thinking, well, certainly they're not counting like high school or college. Except when you look at the statistics by age, it actually kind of creeps up when you get to the 20 to 25 range, where it actually is more than the average uh, working adult. So I think they're combining that all in, which just means to say that we're not reading. You know, that's very scary when you consider that this includes all the Christians in our country, or a, a certainly a polled group. When you consider that we are to read God's Word, that we're to demonstrate our love to God by loving Him, by doing His commands. I don't know how we read all His commands at a mere 16 minutes a day. It would take us a long time to get through all of God's Word, to study it. Never mind if we use a devotional of some kind in addition to that. Another very scary statistic is that the average adult in a home with school-aged children, spends just 42 minutes a day engaging with their children. Now, the statistics also tell us, though, that if you have preschoolers, that it rises to 2.7 hours a day. I imagine this is probably when parents should be sleeping. But nonetheless, all of these numbers, and obviously this is averaged out over all Americans, But we can see that Americans spend a lot of time in personal care, watching TV, and scrolling through our phones, whichever direction you do that. Remember, what we spend our time doing indicates what we love. We are continuing today with Jesus' final words with his disciples in his final hours Before his death, Jesus has taken up a position of servant to his disciples. He's washed their feet. He sat down at the table. He's eating with them. We see that in that time period, Jesus is troubled when he reveals his betrayer. Jesus, during this, this discussion, gives his disciples what he calls a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus predicts, after telling them this, he predicts that Peter's going to deny him and that they're all going to scatter. Jesus, knowing this, tells them not to let their hearts be troubled. After he brings in the bad news that they're going to desert him, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he declares himself clearly that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And then he comes in and proclaims that he and the Father is one. And he's doing this to bring assurance to them for their upcoming trials and suffering. Now you think about this, Jesus is at that moment, just hours away from being arrested and being taken to his death. And he's trying to assure them, and he's giving them these highlights, and he's trying to say, love one another. And this is specifically, he's speaking to the church, love one another. This is going beyond what what the scriptures teach us about loving God and loving your neighbor. He's talking about the people of God, we need to love one another. And then he's bringing reassurance that he is united with the Father. And he wants them to know this, as they're going to abandon him and flee from him. And then he says that they will do greater works than he, and that they can confidently ask for his sake anything, and he will do it. You can see maybe that the disciples hearing those words could maybe get a little of their confidence back. Maybe they're not so nervous anymore. Jesus has been demonstrating for his disciples what love looks like. Love is responsive. Love is putting others before yourself, even though you know you're about to endure difficulty. It is laying down your life for others and he's doing this by teaching them reassuring them and even being long suffering with them because they're in a constant state of need a constant state of confusion a constant state of wanting their ideas, their point of view about who Jesus is going to be and what the world's going to be like afterwards, they're in this constant state of their will This is what they've been searching for. And Jesus says, no, this is about me laying down my life for you and you laying down your life for one another. Jesus now speaks to the disciples about love. He says, if you keep my commandments, it is because you love me. If the disciples are truly going to love Jesus, they must keep his commandment. After all that Jesus has done and said, he has and will continue to demonstrate his love for the disciples and all of us. But our love of God is to be responsive. God acts and we respond with gratitude and love by keeping his commandments. The disciples are about to demonstrate what all of us do. In the coming hours, they're not going to show love to God, but are going to show self-love by fleeing, hiding, and even denying Jesus. They will become concerned with their own self-preservation. Just like the disciples, we frequently serve the idol's of self, We bow down to the idol of pleasure. We bow down to the idol of slothfulness. We know what God commands us to do, and we simply do not do it. We do not love God. Instead, we place all kinds of other gods before him. We do not love God by the way that we do not obey his commands concerning all kinds of things. But we don't love God by obeying his commands to our spouses. Husbands, you do not love and honor your wives by giving up your life for them. You do not recognize that they are heirs together with you of the grace of life. You do not treat your wife as an eternal soul. Wives, you do not respect and obey your husbands. Parents, you do not discipline your children according to the commandments of God. Children... Do not honor and obey your parents. All of us know how to obey, but we simply do not. We suddenly show our love to the idol of self. That is, we simply do not want to do as God tells us. Children, look up this way. Now, it's easy, by the way, for you adults, for me to call the children out. But I, I want us all to be thinking about this. But children, you don't obey because you want to not obey. You're disobeying God. You're not showing love to God. Parents, when you don't discipline your children, when you're slothful in responding, you are not loving God. The first one that you are sinning against, is God Himself. Husbands and wives, when you don't obey the directions of Scripture towards one another, you are not loving God. You know what we tend to do? We bring out the idol of excuses so that we can become embittered against our wives and husbands and parents and children. We say, well, they don't do what they're supposed to do. And we look around for every way to disregard what God has commanded us to do. We do not love Him. If we loved Him, we would study what He commands and respond to His love to us with obedience. Jesus suffered and died for our sins. Remember when he said he gave a new commandment to love one another? As a community, we don't. We disobey God. We disobey the very words of Jesus here, who is speaking in a personal way to those who are his disciples. We need to recognize what it says in Romans 5, beginning in verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead, ugly, and loving our, st- our sin instead of God, God delivered us. Do not take the idol of excuse by looking at others and multiply it. Look at all the things they're not doing. Look at all of the things that that, um, they've done against me. They're not living up to what God says. I don't have to live up to what God says. No, that's multiplying the idol of excuse. But God, remember, he did not treat us that way. While we were dead in our sins, he loved us so much, he laid down his life for us. He delivered us. We go down a little further into the book of Romans and look at chapter 8, beginning at verse 11, it says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This life is a life free from the bondage of sin. You and I, everyone in this room, Christ has delivered us from the bondage of sin. We are now able to love God and to respond to God's love and obey his commands. You're no longer tied, no longer stuck in the spot where you cannot love and cannot obey. God's call to all of us is to respond to the great work of the love of Jesus. That is his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. We need to confess our sins, repent of them. We need to see what idols we've set up in our lives. What do we love? How do we spend our time, and our efforts, are we responding to God's love for us? Jesus, of course, knew the frame of his disciples just like he knows your frame and mine. And he doesn't leave us, his children, in a state that seems overwhelming we look down to verse 16, it says, Jesus says this. He says, I will pray to the Father. Right after he goes through this. And remember, he just makes one solid statement. I just expounded on what that might mean for us. But if, if imagine if Jesus was standing here speaking this. If you love me, keep and obey my commandments. And you think that out. That can be overwhelming recognize the gravity of our sin our neglect to love god to obey him but he says this he doesn't leave us in this state of hopelessness he says i will pray to the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Jesus, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, makes prayers of intercession for us. In this case, he asks God the Father to give us another helper, that is, an advocate, one who will stand with us in the times of trials, in the times of temptation. By God's gracious hand, he has provided us the spirit of truth who abides with us forever. The Spirit knows us. The Spirit abides and dwells with us. He is continually, that's what this word abide means. It is, He continually. He is continually present with us. Jesus is not abandoning His disciples. He does not abandon us. Jesus has, through this entire discourse, emphasized that the triune God, The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one, and because of the work of Christ, we are united to the Father by the Spirit. This is good news. I might even say as your pastor, this is great news. When we sin, He does not leave us as orphans. The Father stands ready to receive us back from all that we have squandered. Just like the prodigal son. He stands ready to forgive the Son. Jesus, even now, is interceding for the church. God himself, the Father, stands ready to forgive us. You and I, we are not alone. Knowing that all his disciples will abandon him in the coming hours, he looks right at them. You can imagine he's sitting at this table. It's not a humongous table. It's him and his 12 disciples. There may have been a scattered other uh, amount of disciples there, but he's looking right at them. This is a very personal table of conversation. And it looks right at them and says that he will come to them. And we know that he did just that on the day of resurrection. And over the next 40 days, Jesus comes to them. He forgives them. He restores them. Jesus places his disciples back into full fellowship. And then he teaches them and even eats with them. Jesus continues in all of this to bring assurance to his disciples. He says this, in a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live You will live also. Jesus gives life to us all. We have life because he lives. In the work of salvation, we are made new. We are now given a life in the new humanity. In Christ, we can finally be truly human to live as God designed all men to live. We struggle to believe that God has chosen us. We struggle to believe God's promise of forgiveness. As we go back to our passage in John 14, we see that Jesus says this in verse 20. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and i will love him and manifest myself to him jesus brings assurance to the disciples of their relationship with the father because of him jesus once again points that those who are in him and therefore will be in the father that he that they will love him and will have the fruit or the results of responding to his love, by obeying his commandments. and our Lord's Prayer, he teaches us that we are to ask our Father, that we are to say to him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This part of the prayer is requesting God's will, that is, living in obedience to, to him, be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But this is not some mysterious or ethereal thing that God does totally disconnected from us. We've been commissioned into taking dominion of the earth and to rearrange it to reflect God's will as it is in heaven. We are to love God and in every part of our lives in accordance to his commands. Can you imagine What would happen in the church if everyone strove to live in this way? Would the church change? Would the world change? It would. When God's people steps up and does this, we see that God the Father is revealed to the church to the world by his unity with his son and the church. And that brings us back to loving one another. When we are truly unified, when we truly lay down our lives for one another, that is not what the world does. The world does not sacrifice for others. Maybe a little bit here and there, maybe in a few moments, but in the day-to-day mundane things, people live for the idol of self and not to love God by loving Others. In this passage, Jesus said that I will love him. He's speaking of he who loves and obeys me. And I. And, and he says, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Now, this is important. When Jesus says that he will manifest himself to the one who loves and obeys, it means that he will disclose and make himself known to him. When God's people live in this manner, Jesus is revealed and our gratitude grows and our love grows, our joyful obedience grows, and all of this brings the light of God to the world. They will see the good works of his people and they will be glorified. Do you realize what that means? When the pagans glorify God, they can't declare that Jesus is Lord unless their hearts are changed. How are their hearts changed? By the work of the Spirit. But what what is going on here? God is going to be revealing Himself to the world through our love for our Father, obedience to His commands, which is to lay our lives down for one another. Perhaps today you see your weakness. Perhaps you see your sin. You may recognize that your life doesn't reflect the corresponding love God has for you. You're not living as God has called you. Our God is gracious and stands ready to forgive. Confess your sin. And as Jesus said throughout the Gospels, go and sin no more. I think we can be strengthened and encouraged when we consider a portion of our psalm reading for this week where it says this in Psalm chapter 66, and verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Confess your sins. Live before God. Demonstrate your love for him by obeying his commands. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and ask that you would grant to all of us this understanding of your word. Grant that we may hear and obey, and in so doing, that our love for you may bear the fruit of obedience. Deliver us from the temptation to ignore your commands. Grant us hearts of joy to obey and to bring glory to your name. We ask this for Jesus' sake, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.